Hello and welcome back to Gut Health and Happiness with the Chuckling Goat Girls. I'm Sean Jones. I've got my gorgeous grown-up daughters, Alan Armstrong and Karis Colvin here with me. Hello, ladies. Morning. And we have a very special guest this week, and it was not easy to get him into the recording. So I hope everyone appreciates this opportunity. We thought it would be fun to do some behind the scene at Chuckling Goat, because if you're a Chuckling Goat fan, um, you know, you've been reading the newsletters and listening to the podcast and it's all very well, but what is actually going on on the farm behind the scenes? And so to get the behind the scenes look at the farm, we thought who better to bring in than the farmer himself. So I've got Rich <laughs> Jones, my husband, and the farmer here with us. Rich, thanks for coming in today. You're welcome, Joe. <laughs> I've had to promise to cook him an amazing supper. Look how happy he looks, Sean. Isn't he ecstatic? <laughs> okay so back in the day before i arrived here there were goats here a chuckling goat so tell us a little bit about um how long you've been keeping goats and when you first kept goats um how long has it been how long ago was it i probably got my first goat when i was about 18 so that's how many years is that mathematical daughters oh a long time 41 years <laughs> And so why did you get your first goat when you were 18? I, I just like them. They're, they're a bit more biddable than sheep. They're manage, more manageable than cattle. And yeah, you, obviously you get milk from them, which is be a good thing. So were you milking that first goat? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What kind was it? Uh, Anglinubian. Mm -hmm. What was his name? Her name? I can't remember. <gasps> yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, no, I can't. We've had so many over the years, though, and so many animals. Like, you're not going to remember them all, are you? No, exactly. Are Anglo-Nubians your favourites? No, they're a bit too sort of princess-like. Oh, that's why I love them. I want to get money. to walk down the hill. <laughs> I love them. So tell us a little bit about the different kinds of goats for people who aren't expert in goats. I think most people would, would think of a goat as a, as a white animal which is probably a British salmon type. Um, there's, there's lots of crosses you can have. But yeah, British salmon type is a big white one. Ones with the big floppy ears are the Anglo-Nubians. The ones, uh, the brownie colored ones with sort of stripes down their nose, look a little bit like a badger. Uh, the British Alpine, uh, British Toggenbergs, sorry, are the brown and the British Alpines are the black ones with white stripes down their noses. And if you want to see pictures of the goats, we do have a section on the website. I believe it's still up. Is it, Alice? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Meet the Herd. That's so it. you can click on Meet the Herd. Go to the Chuckling Goat website, click on Meet the Herd, and you'll see pictures of all of our goats. And which breeds do we keep now? We've got quite a few pure Sanans. We've got a few British Sanans. We've got British Alpines and British Toggenberg. And which are your favourites now? We're probably still the, the pure Sarnin, I like. They're slightly smaller than the British Sarnin, but they're very placid usually. And yeah, they milk well. There's not much fuss for them. They, they sort of stay in the field that they're meant to stay. And like the British Alpine are a bit wilder. We had one, she kidded. And she stayed in with her kids for about the first week and then we let them out. And she just disappeared and we couldn't find her for, I think it was 15 days later we found her. She'd gone into next door's woods and gone about a mile away. 
15 days. And just the mum life was not for her, maybe. It wasn't. <laughs> she wanted to be free. <laughs> um, well, I like the Nubians because, as you say, they are diva princesses, which we like. And also, they're very beautiful. They look like they have eyeliner on. And they look... <laughs> I mean, and then they have these long ears and the ear tags look like they're wearing earrings. So they're yeah. just, they're very, definitely my favorite as well. Yeah, you like the newbies? I do like the Alpines as well. I do like the British Alpines, especially the kids, because they are just so gorgeous and so jet black with the white stripe. They're very, very um, photogenic. So yeah, I do, I do like I like the pretty ones. I'm not going to lie. The ones that are divas, they're for me. They're my kind of goat. And the, the Nubians are funny too because they have these sort of long, elegant legs. But when they kid, um, they tend to have, you know, twins uh, or even triplets. And then they have these long, spidery legs and they're all tangled up with each other so they can they can have difficult kiddings. A bit like Bambi on ice then, aren't they? Like, they are, they yeah. Kind of, like, yeah, they are. So then when you girls were young, um, your dad had goats and so how old were you like what do you remember about when when you had goats when you were little I'm pretty sure we had goats when we lived in Tridlawis didn't we yeah that's it um so I was probably six seven no oh, younger we are father yeah I, I remember that as well and I think they were mostly sarnins weren't they dad yeah we had three sarnins there yeah I remember those um I remember drinking the milk warm like literally it would come out and we'd drink it and also filtering it in a little sieve yeah. and a filter paper I remember doing that loads um that and really I satisfying I used to like yeah. filtering the milk yeah me and I remember I used to milk the goats by hand as well maybe more so when we moved here to Glen Merlin so when I was like seven or eight I remember milking the goats by hand because you have to like go <laughs> yeah. sorry people can't see but I'm like showing how you would do it so with your fingers and then thumb so I remember doing that sat on the milking stool the goat on the stand and milking by hand I really enjoyed doing that actually it's really it's quite a comforting thing once you know once you know how to do it unlike a cow where you pull the teeth with the goat you have to be very gentle and sort of squeeze it out yeah. so when you got the goats when the girls were little why was that I hadn't had them for a few years, and I thought the milk would be good for the girls growing up. And we had a little two-acre field out the back of the, the house we were in at the time. So it all sort of tied in then. So talk a little bit, because you and I had this conversation um, when we first got together, but I was amazed that you knew all this stuff about goat's milk and the benefits of goat's milk, and I'd never heard of it. It's not in the American tradition. So tell, tell us about the things that you know as a Welshman about goat's milk. Well, I don't think it's American or Welsh. I think if you'd been in America and kept goats, you'd know it as well. I think American goat keepers know the same thing. But, you know, it, was, it wasn't, oh, I know. It's not an automatic thing that, you know, goat's milk is good for you. It's you start keeping goats and people say, oh, do you know the milk is really good for you? And it, it's a sort of, it's passed down. So, you know... If you asked one of the girls in the office who doesn't keep goats, she might not know that. But anybody who keeps goats knows that. And I think it probably is the same. You know, that's why people in America do keep goats. There weren't many goats in the middle of San Francisco, were there really? <laughs> no, not many, not many. 
So, but what is good about goat's milk? I mean, you're, just your sense of why it would be good um, for the girls. Well, I suppose it's the famous, why do you want to grow your own um, radish and salads and lettuce and veg in the garden? It's, you know, exactly where it's come from. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be fresh. You know, it's got zero, um, what's they call it, carbon miles or, you know, the it, it hasn't travelled to you. It, it's there. So there's those initial benefits. But then, yeah, you know, you, you read about it and you hear about, oh, well, you know more about this than I do. I don't know why you're asking me this one. You know more about the benefits of goat's milk than anybody in the UK, probably. So answer your own question on that one, Abe. Well, when we first talked, you told me that eczema was good for, or that goat's milk was good for eczema, asthma, and bronchial conditions. And I got interested in that because I thought, really? <laughs> That's weird. And I'd never heard of it. So I went looking for the science because that's kind of what I do. And of course I found it. Um, goat's milk is good for asthma and eczema. And Kara, you had eczema growing up, did you? Which is probably yeah. why you started with the goat's milk to begin with. Yeah. So, interestingly, goat's milk is very anti-inflammatory. Um, and of course we have people ask this question all the time, um, don't we else? They say, you know, why is it made with goat's milk and not with cow's milk? So what do we tell them? It's got smaller fat molecules for starters, um, and also um, no casein A1 or A1 casein, which is the massive allergen in cow dairy. So much better suited for human consumption. Right. So when I went looking for the research, what I found was that about 60% of adults actually have some level of cow's milk allergy. Without even realizing it, people, you know, cow's milk is just not good for human beings, and it can be an actual trigger for eczema, uh, allergies, autoimmune conditions, asthma, bronchial conditions, breathing conditions, and so on. And so that's where I kind of enter the story. So when I moved to the farm and Benji was little, um, Benji was having bronchial infections round and round and round. And I would take him to the doctor, antibiotics, and he'd come back, get sick again, cold, settle on his chest, back to the doctor. And I didn't know then what I know now, but I had a sense, as you do as a mother, like, this is not... This is not good. I can see we're not winning this race. And he was too, he was just too little. You know, it just seemed wrong to be pumping all of these really horrible, um, strong medications into him. I could see they weren't doing him any favors. And so that's when I said to you, right, Benji is getting sick. He's getting sick over and over and over. What are we going to do? And you said, get a goat. And I said, huh? <laughs> because I've just said that our son is ill and you said, get a goat. And I don't understand that. But that was your sense was that if we if we need to get the sort of mucousy bronchial um, problem stopped, we need to stop giving him cow's milk and start giving him goat's milk. Yeah, that's yeah, you know that's what gets passed down from goatkeeper to goatkeeper. Really, it's not so much a like a sixth sense or a or a sense of it. It's it's just that's what's what's talked about really. And so I was interested in that. I was like, wow, okay, so these people who keep goats know this, but I don't know it. And I don't think other people in the general population know it. And so if that's true, um, maybe that is an opening in the market. You know, if we could find something to do with this goat's milk, um, then we're using something that is not allergenic, not inflammatory. It's not going to make mucus. I think that's the, the thing is cow's milk makes mucus. And if you tend to be chesty or asthmatic or something, you don't need that, um, that extra mucus. There's something in cow's milk called agglutinin, 
And if you put cow's milk in the fridge, you know how it separates up and gets a kind of layer of cream on the top? That, that's agglutinin. It makes things stick together. And it does kind of the same thing in your system. And that's literally what creates the mucus. So goat's milk, um, as you said, I was the fat molecule is smaller. It doesn't have any agglutinin. It doesn't have that allergenic um, A1 casing. And so it doesn't create any of the problems that cow's milk does. Usually people say, oh, I'm allergic to dairy. They're not. They're allergic to cow dairy. And it, um, goat's milk is considered hypoallergenic. A babies can tolerate goat's milk who cannot even tolerate their own mother's breast milk. So it's considered by scientists a functional food and a hypoallergenic food. There are people who are allergic to goat's milk, but they are, it's tiny, tiny, tiny. There's a very, it's very, very, very rare. So almost everyone in the general population can easily tolerate goat's milk. And so that's why we started using it for our keeper. Yeah. Actually, what happened was we got the milk or we got the goat. We went straight from the doctor's surgery mm. to, to see, um, Rich said, oh, I know a man who has a goat. Yeah. And we went driving out. You weren't even sure who it was. Were no, you? I knew roughly what it was. I bought a goat from him years previous. I yeah. didn't even know if he's still alive or still had goats. <laughs> so we went driving out into the countryside and we found him. Mm. No wild goat chase. Not a it wild was- and Bithig was lovely. Bithig was, um, oh, she was so, she just had a lovely face, didn't she? She was really patient and wise and kind. And she was an Anglo Nubian. She was black and white. And then while we were there with Bithig, I saw this little goat kid who was just so cute. And she had long legs um, and she was solid black. And she looked like a showgirl. And so we got her as well and named her Lola because she was a showgirl. And we still have Lola today. Yeah, she's still. Yeah. I was actually there. talking to Jordan, our head of barn, about Lola a couple of days ago. She's like, yeah, she's so stubborn. She is the most stubborn goat in the herd. She is stubborn. She is. She has the worst udder. She has a bad attitude. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we don't, you know, um, we have the luxury of looking after our goats the way that we want to, which is really nice. So we do not call them for age when they get old. They just retire. Yeah, they retire. But, you know, if they're, if they're struggling, then they do need to be put to sleep. But uh, no, we've got some that have been in the granny pen for a few years now. That's He keeps threatening me with the granny pen. <laughs> yeah, well. Stay active or we'll put you in the granny pen. So no, but I think. I think people would be interested, as Sean says, we don't, we're lucky that we keep our goats the way we do. Um, and it's not actually the same as how maybe larger goat farms keep their goats. So I think people would be interested to hear how we are different in that way. So how do we keep our goats? Um, they're housed in quite large communal pens. They go out every day when it's dry. They're not very good in the rain. They're okay in a light shower, but no, they they come in every night. The milkers obviously will get milked at night. They get fed our own hay made on our own fields. They've got a special blend of food that we get mixed up with no GM uh, crops in it. So yeah, I think they have a pretty cushy life really, don't they? Mm, Yeah, they get to roam. They get to roam around the woods and things as well, don't they? And just have a jolly. Have a jolly. Yeah. We do, 
you know, we wait with the whole kidding because um, I know a lot of big farms, they put their goats to kid quite early on, don't they? Um, but Yeah, we don't kid our goats until their second birthday. Um, a few other people do that as well, but in a commercial herd, no, you try and kid them on their first birthday, which mm. is ridiculously young. Mm -hmm. yeah, grown into a decent sized goat by that side. Yeah, we try to avoid the whole teenage mother thing, right? Yeah. Um, and they all have names. Yeah. Anyway, tell it tell about the naming system that we have. Well, as Sean is originally from Texas, all of the goats are named from a Texas town or village or city. So we go alphabetically, and last year was the J, so we're on the K year. Are we on the K year this yep. year on the, or last year? Were we? K is this year. Right, so we've got Knox and... Kermit. Kermit of the K, uh, <laughs> which is actually a town in Texas somewhere. Yeah, these are all actual towns in Texas. So we looked for the more obscure ones, you know. We, yeah, the more obscure ones to, to fit in with the goats. I like and, Knox. Knox is a cool name. Knox is cool, yeah. So we've got an Ellen the goat because yes, there is a town called Ellen in Texas. So that's a everything in Texas. So that's a few years back now, obviously. Um, there's a Jordan the goat for last year or year before. Yeah. What are uh, we going to do for X though, guys? There'll be something. There'll be something. Texas is such a big place. There are so many towns. <laughs> we'll be fine. We'll be okay. We'll so yeah, we we name them like that. So really, it's it's a bit easier than. So if you know the name of the goat, you should know roughly when it is its year of birth then. And we also, because we keep different kinds of goats, but we keep them separate. So they're, um, we do care about pedigree and we keep different males. And so we don't, we're not just blending them all together. So well, we're breeding them separately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all the, all the British salmons will be pure British salmons and so on. And we do that intentionally to try to keep, um, you know, the standard up because there's not that many goat keepers in the UK. And so it's important that people do register, you know, if you're keeping goats that you sort of register the goat that you care about the pedigree that, you know, because otherwise it all sort of devolves into kind of a mush. And mm. so we try to do our part to, to mm. keep that going. Yeah. And we used to show, we haven't done that in a while. We haven't done that in about five or six years now since we started the business, really. Yeah. At that been, time. We've been a bit busy, but that was fun. Did you guys ever come with us? Are you yeah. you are yeah. doing yeah. that? Don't we have a picture of you showing the goats in the white coat? Yeah, I I remember going to one in Cardigan and showing. I don't think yeah, it must have been five, maybe six six years ago, probably because Maxen wasn't born. I'm pretty sure Maxen wasn't born. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's a picture of me with the white coat and Benji quite. A bit younger obviously and and yeah showing a goat with our ribbons and yeah. um, prizes always used to get first always first always always first. always i enjoy, enjoy those shows and now um you judge don't you you've been asked to judge at the royal welsh and things well we judged from the local show last year yeah yeah before now no, they the comments to, yeah. to do the tv commentary um, and then as well as goats, then we also keep sheep. And you keep a particular kind of sheep. And you were on the radio the other, or you were on TV the other day because of that. So tell about your special sheep. My special sheep, they're quite small sheep. They're a mountain, mountain breed native to Wales. 
the one of the two badger faced types. Uh, the one we've got is the Porwen. Porwen in Welsh means white belly. So they're basically a white belly, black body. They're white underneath the tail, but not on the back. So if you lift the tail, it's white. And they've got two little white markings down by their eyes, like little makeup. And they've just been recognized as a rare breed in the UK. So, um, you know, it's quite nice to keep them. Yeah. Quite hard to breed and keep the colors proper. So it's important that they have the, the markings. If the markings are right, they can be registered as pedigree sheep. If they're not, then they, they can't be. Does so, someone have to come out then to check? Or no, how does that work? You, you can do it uh, photos or you, or you can get somebody out to check. So I, I was lucky that we know the chairman of the club and he's been out. He's been very helpful and helped us with them. Um, so it, because the markings are so hard to get right with the breeding, it's, it's dying out in popularity or it's, it's just dying out of the, as a flock. So last year we were really lucky and we actually managed to get um, to breed a nice ram. So that sold for quite a bit of money a couple of months ago. Um, that's quite rare to be able to get a, a ram. The rams are harder to get the markings correct than the ewes. So we're what about up to... the, um, the lamb that we've just recently had? Because that's a ram, isn't it? Yeah, the ram lamb. You can't always tell straight away if the markings are going to stay or even if they... So the body is going to be perfectly black. You can't have any white blotches on its side or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now you might have one born with a tiny little, you know, six wisps of wool, but you can't tell straight away if that's going to disappear or get bigger. Yeah. So initially you can tell sometimes we had a few jet black ones, well, they'll never turn into the white markings. So those will never be, be pedigree and that's, that's one of the big issues. They throw back to the Welsh Mountain black ones, I think. And you just, you know, it's out of something that we had last year. We had about 30 lambs last year, and there's only eight of them we could register because only eight out of those 30 were good enough to register. Wow. Some people will register them and think, oh, yeah, it'll be good enough, and nobody ever sees them anyway. But that, there's no point in doing that because you're fooling yourself then anyway. Yeah. yeah. Again, we're trying to keep the standard high. And I mean, anybody, I, I mean, this, I think that's how we feel about it. Anybody who's breeding animals should try to do it. You know, to, if you're going to take the time and attention and energy to do it and look after them, you should do it properly. You should register them, you know, join your local club. Um, I mean, there's a club for every kind of breed and they will tell you about the breeding standards and help you and advise you and and it's, it's fun. You know, it's an interest, isn't it? I've got, um, oh, here's another thing happening on the farm. I've got chickens. So I've got Arakana chickens, and they are the Easter egg chickens um, that lay beautiful blue eggs. Um, and I was very proud because Maxon doesn't like, uh, the, he likes the whites of eggs, but not the yolks. But my chicken's eggs, he'll eat the yolks. He loves them. Yeah. That was my big, like, that was my mom key moment. It's like, oh, I said, oh, I have magic chickens. He likes the yolks. Um, but I got those, I ordered those eggs from a breeder. I ordered myself a little incubator off Amazon, a little six egg incubator. I hatched them 
And now I've got um, three chickens who are laying beautiful blue eggs. And I didn't, I've never had chickens before. I didn't know anything about it. I've never hatched chickens. I didn't know anything about it. So I'm quite a, like, I'm an armchair city girl. Um, but then I do have Rich to ask for practical advice. So that's, I get to cheat a little bit like that. But um, it's, I mean, we, we do encourage people to do that. If you're interested, you don't need as much land as you might think. Mm. chickens you can have a window box and grow some tomatoes or some nasturtiums and put them in your salad um how much you can even have a goat if you how much space do you need to have to have a goat as long as you've got a, a, a shed to put her in i i bought goats from a breeder down in somerset and her goats can stick their heads out to the garage door and that's it she brings everything into them through the house never yeah Everything goes in through the house, apart from the goats, which she gets permission to walk through next door's garden because they've got a, a side walk that they can walk them through. Oh, that's sweet, though, that they take them out for little walks and get them some fresh air, scratch their legs. Yeah, you know, they need, they need to be outside, really. So ideally, you need a minimum of an acre and you've got out two goats. You can have one. There's a little pine by itself. It, it, mm. They do like human company, but they, they obviously need... Goat yeah, they're very they're very social animals, and if you if you're thinking about getting a goat, it's not a bad idea to get um, a female goat with a kid at foot is what it's called, and then the kid can nurse, you know, the milk off, and then you can have some milk. So you can have some milk, and the kid can have some milk, and you don't have to worry about getting too much milk and having it go off, because that's what happened to us. We got this goat. I learned to milk it. Suddenly, we had more milk than we could drink. It was going off in the fridge. And that's when I started making a keeper because I was trying to find something to do with milk. So that's that's where we entered the story. Yeah. So the farm rotates on this seasonal calendar. So tell us what's coming up activity-wise. Well, hopefully, if the weather comes back, it's it's pretty grey out there today. Hopefully, when the weather comes back, we'll uh, be thinking of uh, mowing for hay. Hay season. We actually throw past I can't remember. I think it was one of our fields. And Max and went, a lot of grass in there. I think we better cut it soon. <laughs> Good boy. So I think he's at the age now where he's, okay, he's not been able to help as much, perhaps, but he'll love kind of sitting, you know, once the bales are all in those piles. You know, we do the small bales in piles of whatever we can do. And someone on the tractor, I love those days. I love it. It's like just... everyone pulls together, don't they? Yeah. And we're... We're all out in the field, someone's driving the tractor, someone's bringing squash and supplies to everyone. And it's a really kind of like I love day it. out. Kind of thing. It's definitely the hardest season, or at least I feel, because it's a lot of physical work and usually it's very hot. Um, but it's so much fun, especially because you get a little bit of cider as well, don't we? You yes. always got to get cider on the job, has to be done. And I remember, apart from, obviously, Tara and I have been pregnant during different hay seasons but I tell you what that is not a free pass at all we're on the tractor with our bellies reaching the steering wheel yeah the only thing we don't get yeah the only thing we don't have to do when we're pregnant is actually lift the bales everything else drive the tractor make all the food for everybody sort out suppers do the drinks <laughs> so, give a pass. Just yeah. on. but it is sort of like twice as much work isn't it because you're like they're like boom 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 <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's such good fun. I love it. I really enjoy it. 
And that's the only time of year we drink cider. Like none of us drink cider. Yeah, I never drink we cider. We drink Hayton. We all drink cider. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Just one of those things. Well, it's it's a tradition. Down, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. a tradition. And homebrew. Yeah, yeah. Home, we get to have homebrew during cider time. Which are good. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then, so summer is for haymaking. And then what happens in the fall? Autumn. 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 <laughs> Say fall in America. Autumn here. Autumn. We normally have quite a nice autumn. September, October can be okay in this neck of the woods. So we start, obviously, the big thing is getting all the machines that we've used for the hay. You know, it can be tens of thousands of pounds worth of machinery used for the hay. Um, we service them. We oil them up, grease them up, and they get put away into the right into the back of one of the sheds. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a big, important thing because the the value of all these machines. And how many tractors do you have now, Rich? Yeah. Uh, oh, give him five minutes to think. The internet cut out then. I don't know what you're saying. He won't ever tell me how many he has. I got it's quite a, a few. Lot. Anyway. But then, but they're not your standard massive tractors that people, especially around here, would see driving along the, the roads, are they, Dad? They're not the massive kind of no, brand no. new shiny things. No, none of them are brand new. None of them are shiny. But... Um, the oldest one is 19, I think, 1948. And the newest one is probably 19, 1992, I think, is the newest one. And they're all a certain color. Apart from all of them, apart from one, rather, um, they're all blue. And why is that? But Ford is the only tractor to have, really. <laughs> he only has four tractors, only. So which one isn't blue, Dad? The only one that isn't blue is a red international. It's called a B414. And it is the very first tractor I ever drove. The, the actual one, not just the same model. But uh, Sean bought that one for me for Christmas but four years ago now. And that's I remember me. that day. That was amazing. I remember that turning up on the yard, yeah. on the back of the trailer, and Dad's face. And we were all like, oh, that's the one. Well, if I was to open the office door here now, which is that way, and I'm itching to get out actually, um, <laughs> that that tractor it's, it's from it was built in 1965. That tractor is in use as we speak now. So if I had a microphone out there, you could hear it going. Tup, 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 tup. <laughs> so yeah, that's the only non-Ford here. Oh, Ford or Fordson. You used to have Fergies, didn't you? The little grey ones. Yeah, the little grey Fergies. I, I want a little grey Fergie as well. I want a, a oh, little grey Fergie because the grey Fergie started off the tractor revolution, really. It is the thing that finally knocked the horse for six. You know, some people I... are still using horses. Fergie, little grey Fergie came out in 1948. But there were people still using horses around that time. So, but by sort of 1950, 51, the horses had all but gone and the grey Fergie. It was a revolutionary tractor. It had things that previous tractors could just pull things and that was it. Yeah. Not particularly well. The grey Fergie could do that much more. It is small, it is compact. When it wasn't working in the shed, it didn't eat any oats or hay or anything. <laughs> It's revolutionary, and I think I think I should get one of those. It's like an important part of the history of tractors, really. Is it? I love those yeah. tractors. Yeah. I remember, I remember you having loads of those tractors, and I love them. 
Yeah, they're so easy to drive. It's like a little car to drive. I was going to say, they are really easy, aren't they, compared so, to yeah, some people's. You know, when Shan's not listening sometime, I, I'll have to start looking for a Fergie diesel. <laughs> I've never denied you a track. There was... I was going to say, as if Shan's going to stop you anyway. Right. Okay. Thank you, Karis. Yeah. I don't think it ever stood in the way of him getting attracted. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> in the autumn, um, you grease up the tractors and put them away. And what happens to the goats? The goats carry on much the same. And then as we go into winter, they start coming into season. So it's mating time from sort of November, December onwards up until January, February. We try to get them all mated fairly early in the year so that they'll kid down five months later. So ideally, I want them to be in kids sort of, yeah, November, December is best, so that they're not too late in the year missing the fresh grass in the spring then. We do, because we keep our own males here, they're out in the field having a nice time in the summer. And in the winter, they come in and eat lots of food and have lots of romance. So, you know, yeah, go on nice dates. Not a bad, not a bad life. <laughs> no. Not a bad life. And then in spring, we have kidding. Spring is kidding time. It's fairly chaotic. Um, and lambing. We don't bother scanning the, the goats. So we, we really don't know how many they're going to get. It can be rarely one. Goats normally give birth to twos or threes. We've had a four once or twice. But no, normally two or three. So, yeah, ideally you need somebody out there then if you know they're going to kid out there keeping an eye on things. Most of the time they're fine. And in one of our early dates, Rich looked at my hands and said, oh, you have small hands. Good for kidding. Yeah. And I yeah, thought, right, okay. Essential. Um, I think your hands have got wide. I think they there. have. My, they're too big to be out there now. <laughs> yeah, we've right, well, a fair share of kidding, haven't we? I see. Because both Karen yeah. and I have small hands too. So, yeah, we were out there. I've done Anyone it who has small hands gets called into called into play on the farm. The goats are usually pretty good. The goats are easier than the sheep, really. Um, yeah, on the whole, yeah. Skinny little things. Yeah. They're kind of diving out. So Yeah, that's it. Well, we have a lot of information, and I know Rich is itching to get back on on his <laughs> tractor, so we're lucky to have had him in. So, Rich, thank you very much for joining me. Okay, that's me off then. All right. Woohoo! Thank you, girls. Yeah. Ta-da. Hard to get him into the office. He hates being inside. Yeah, I do. Yes. All right. So, before we finish, um, do we have a nice recipe for everybody? Yes, I do, actually. I've got to get it up because it is quite a new one to me. Um, so I will read it off here. On just a little bit of background behind the recipe. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, Josh plays squash. Josh plays squash, I like it. Um, so I try to organise a quick supper for Isabella and myself. I don't have an extra pair of hands to entertain her whilst I'm cooking. We also take the opportunity to have fish. Unfortunately, Josh really, really doesn't like fish. I'm not even allowed to cook it when he's in the house. He's smelled, so, isn't he? He, he can't smell can't. the house. It does. So anyway, we usually have salmon, which we both really like, um, and bake it in the oven really quick and easy. It doesn't need much time. You can put a little bit of butter and lemon in a little tinfoil parcel and pop it in. And then as a grain to go with it, um, amaranth. So super, super fibrous, really, really good for you. 
And then I do some veggies like green beans and broccoli, and I usually steam those. Once everything is cooked, I blend it together. So the green beans and the broccoli are in mixed with the amaranth. Um, you can also add some poi lentils to it. Poi, pui, poi, I say poi, yeah. Add some poi lentils to it as well, and just get some nice pulses in there. And then do a dressing of lemon juice, lemon zest, crushed garlic and olive oil and then plop your salmon on top. And it's lovely nice. and it is really quick. So simple. That sounds lovely. And you could swap out <clears throat> if you want to have a different kind of grain, if you want to put quinoa in there, if you yeah, want to have a steam. Um, again, we're really encouraging people these days to go for fiber diversity. Mm -hmm. So don't just get stuck on one kind of grain and do that all the time. Don't just have rice all the time. You know, go for the quinoa, go for the amaranth. Over the millet. Millet is nice. I've been having millet. It's quick and easy to cook. It's got a really nice kind of nutty flavor to it. And again, you know, you cook all of these grains like you cook rice. Grain, water, salt, boil, bring it to the yeah. boil, turn it down, simmer it, and then taste it. And when it tastes good, it's done. And then strain off the excess water. It's not hard. No, it's not. And it's usually the same um, ratios as rice, or at least I think amaranth is. Um, mm -hmm. That's how I've been cooking it. You say if you did one cup of amaranth, you'd do two cups of water mm -hmm. with it. Um, I like to cook it or boil it in um, vegetable stock because it gives it that extra flavor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great idea. Um, and, and yeah, don't worry too much about, you know, getting the proportions exactly right. If you've got, you know, if you run out of water, add some more. And if you've got too yeah. much water, strain it off. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty forgiving process, but just try to get those different fibers in there. Definitely. Okay. Um, awesome. Well, I'm impressed that we got Rich in and got him to sit inside for an entire podcast. That was a victory. So what should we do next week? Should we do some more behind the scenes? Yeah. I like that. Definitely. Yeah. Perhaps like the soapery or something like that. So people can you can hear about the um the steps that they take in there to, to make things and stuff like that. That's a good idea because of course we do everything on the farm here. We make all the lotion, we make all the soaps, um, we blend everything up. So we'll see if we can get uh Claudia to come in. Claudia is the manager of the soapery and she also works out in the barn milking the goats and you know everybody who works here is good at a number of different things. Um, and Claudia is lovely and she's been with us quite a while. So we'll see if we can get her in to talk about what happens behind the scenes in the story. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good time. Okay, ladies. Well, it was lovely to see you again. Nice to have a chat. And as ever, um, if you're listening and you have any questions that you'd like us to answer, email them in and we will try to address them in the next episode of Gut Health and Happiness with the Chuckling Goat Girls. So from now until next week, have a healthy week. Bye, Bye guys. Talk to Bye you guys. soon.